had a co-worker a number of years ago who back in the early 60s lived in Rowan County and he uh, was asked uh, to help Ralph Kettner pass out flyers announcing the opening, the grand opening, the coming of a uh, new grocery store in Salisbury. And he was a young man at the time and could use the money. And so he rode around with Mr. Kettner, uh, passing out flyers all over uh, Salisbury, in particular out near uh, the intersection of uh, Ennis Street and uh, Statesville Boulevard. And uh, in doing so, uh, as uh, he was with Mr. Kettner, uh, eventually, uh, before they were done with that project of passing out flyers, uh, Mr. Kettner invited him, asked him uh, if he would like to come to work and be part uh, of this new grocery store. And Wayne, by his own admission, said he laughed at him and told him, it will never work. Some of you may have put two and two together by now. Uh, I'm sure Jackie and Kevin have. Uh, Mr. Kettner, for those of you who don't know, was the founder of Food Town, later to be Food Line. And Wayne passed out, passed on an opportunity uh, to be one of the original uh, employees of, uh, of the company that would eventually grow into a couple thousand stores and uh, have, at the, at the time, back in that time, uh, had uh, profit sharing that was unbelievable. Uh, I remember uh, knowing a number of uh, store managers and folks in, in the Salisbury area uh, who through their profit sharing became uh, millionaires. And uh, it's hard to tell what Wayne could have done, how much he could have earned uh, had he taken Mr. Kettner just a little bit more seriously. Um, but uh, he passed on that opportunity. Um, most of you, you may not can tell a story quite uh, of that magnitude, but most of us can look back on our life and think of opportunities that we have had that um, had quite possibly the uh, possibility of, uh, of changing our life dramatically uh, from the way it turned out. Uh, some of you may look back and see some opportunities you passed on that you're glad you did. Uh, as the uh, old country song said, thank God for unanswered prayer. Uh, but uh, all of us probably have some things we look back and say, and I wish I would have fill in the blank. We have a story before us in the Gospel of Mark uh, where there is a group of people here who probably at this very moment uh, are still uh, and will continue throughout eternity to say, if I had only, if I had only listened, if I had only heard Christ, if I would have only taken him more seriously uh, that afternoon when uh, we met him. If only I would have been more focused on listening to him instead of accomplishing my mission uh, of embarrassing uh, and testing him. If only I would have done things differently. We see that in, again, the book of Mark, 
chapter 8 here, uh, beginning in uh, verse 11. I'm going to look at just a, uh, a small text this morning uh, and see what happened with these Pharisees. And what I want you to understand and, and think about this morning is to know that here, February the 18th, uh, as we gather here, whether you're in this room, or whether you're joining us online, uh, at this juncture, you have an opportunity. Uh, you have a, a chance that the possibility is there uh, for you to respond uh, to whatever Christ is calling on you to do. Uh, for some, it may be uh, that uh, he is calling on you to be more dedicated in your Christian faith. He's calling on you to be a witness for, uh, for him. For others, uh, this may be the very day that he is calling on you and speaking to your heart and inviting you to allow him to save you, come into your life and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to see here the failure, the mistake that the Pharisees make uh, in their moment of opportunity. And it begins, uh, the problem of the whole story here uh, is their misguided desire. Uh, verse 11 uh, of this passage describes that for us and, uh, and, and tells us uh, about uh, their mistake. It tells us uh, in this passage, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. The Pharisees came to him. Uh, we're going to take this verse and uh, kind of break it down a little bit and look at the parts uh, leading up uh, to their opportunity. The Bible says that the Pharisees came to him. Now, when you read that phrase, it may uh, initially sound, well, that sounds, uh, that sounds pure enough. That sounds clear enough. The Pharisees found out uh, that Jesus was in town, perhaps. Uh, they had heard that just uh, a short time previously uh, he had fed the 4,000. Maybe they've even heard of some of the other things he's done, some of the other miracles he has performed. They've perhaps heard some of his teachings uh, that were being spread around the, uh, the region, and, and they came to him. That, that sounds real special, doesn't it? Uh, that sounds real nice of them to, to come out and to meet Jesus and, and to greet him as he arrived in their town and be the official welcoming party uh, as, uh, as he arrives in town. But if you know anything uh, about the Pharisees, you know uh, that there's never anything with those guys that is quite that simple, uh, quite that clean. In fact, as we study that passage and look at the words that are used there, uh, a better way of putting this verse uh, in, in words that we would understand and be clear to you and I, uh, we would say something like this, the Pharisees came to ambush Jesus. Uh, that would be a, uh, a clearer way for you and I to understand this passage. And, uh, it even gives uh, the implication uh, that they were kind of hiding, uh, just looking for him, that they were waiting on him to come around the corner and they were going to jump out and go, boom. Uh, you know, that's uh, kind of the, the impression that uh, this passage uh, lives, uh, gives to us. It's not a, uh, a warm greeting. They, uh, you know, they don't, uh, the band's not playing. They, uh, they're not out there with a key to the city uh, welcoming the town. Uh, they come out with a plan. And it tells us there that um, 
they, they came and began to argue with him. Uh, and when you see that phrase, it says they began to argue with him. It uh, tells us uh, that they came out with argument on their mind. It doesn't say they came out and had a conversation that led to an argument. Uh, it doesn't say that after talking for a while uh, that they got into an argument. No, it says they came out and began immediately to argue. They began to debate. They began to question uh, what Jesus was teaching. And so uh, we see their, uh, their, their motive here. We see their misguided desire. And as they come out to him, part of their argument is, is it says they asked for a sign from heaven. And, and, and I think it's important for us to see uh, that statement, that, that phrase. They came and asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, uh, think with me for just a moment. We could reword that passage and, and say something like this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign to test. Seeking from him a sign and stop there. But Mark is careful here uh, to add that statement that they came and they asked for a sign from heaven. Uh, it's only been a little while uh, that Jesus fed the 4,000 with just uh, a handful of bread and fish. Uh, obviously, they've already heard about Jesus because, again, they come out with the intention from the beginning uh, of having an argument, uh, a debate with Jesus. So they've heard about the signs he's done. Uh, they've heard about uh, the things that he has done. That's what piqued their interest. But they come out and they don't just ask for a sign. They ask specifically for a sign from heaven. They, they weren't content with the miracles that Jesus uh, had been doing. Uh, they weren't content uh, with the things that, uh, that uh, he had been doing. They wanted to dictate to him how he would perform a miracle, what type uh, of miracle that he would perform. They wanted a, uh, an agreeable, they wanted a genie in a bottle, so to speak. They, they wanted to be able to come out and say, do this sign. We want you to do this. Uh, step and fetch, Jesus. We want you to do a sign from heaven. We don't care about those other things. We want you to do this. Do this particular miracle. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to uh, to meet Jesus on their terms. They wanted uh, you know, they, they wanted to uh, to dictate to him how he uh, was going to do things. They, uh, again, so they're very specific here. We want a, uh, a sign uh, from, uh, from heaven. We're, we, we don't uh, want to hear anything else about your earthly works. We don't want to hear anything about uh, you feeding people. We don't want to hear about you uh, raising people from the dead, healing the sick. We want you to do something specific. We want you to do things our way. Uh, we want you to do what we tell you to do. And certainly it would have been easy for Jesus to give them a sign from heaven. They, they really didn't know what they were asking for, if you think about it. Uh, Jesus could have easily given them a sign from heaven. Uh, think about the signs from heaven uh, that, uh, that, he could have, uh, that he could have done. Uh, as the old song says, he could have called 10,000 angels. Uh, he, he could have, uh, certainly Jesus during his earthly ministry uh, was surrounded and watched over by the angels of heaven 
with swords drawn, ready uh, to come to the defense uh, of their king. He could have given them a sign, uh, but I don't think they would have liked it. He could have given them a sign, all right. He could have called down fire and brimstone from the heavens. He could have given them a sign, but I don't think they liked it. Uh, I don't think they knew what they were asking for. He could have, uh, again, he could have done all kinds of things. He could have uh, called down fire again as he did uh, with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he could have made, they wanted a sign from heaven. He could have made the sun stand still. He had done it before in the Old Testament. He could have made the sun stand still till one side of the earth became a barren, dried up desert and the other side of the earth became an iceberg. He could have given them a sign, but I don't think they liked it. They, they wanted things they thought their way. They thought they wanted things in, in, in their way. Uh, their their scale. They wanted to be able, again, to dictate to Jesus how this relationship was going to go. That they were spiritually blind, and so therefore their, their motive is misguided. They, they come to Christ and they, they want, again, a, they, they want a God that they can control. They want a God that they can uh, make demands of. They want a fairy tale God. They want a genie in a bottle. They want three wishes. They, they, they want that kind of God. And they say, you give us a, a, a sign uh, from heaven. And all along, they didn't really want a sign to begin with. They, they wanted to somehow trick Jesus. If, if he would have given them a sign from heaven, no doubt they would have done something as they had done before as they opposed Jesus. They would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, he called down fire from heaven because he's, he, he's full of Beelzebub. They've done that. Uh, they would have given. They, they wouldn't have given him credit as being the son of God. They would have said he would have used the power of Satan. They they wanted to be again in, in control, and certainly these men were wise enough, just as you and I are wise enough to look around the world, look around our our natural earth. And they didn't want an earthly sign; they wanted a heavenly sign. But all around us, we've got natural signs we can't explain. They, they couldn't explain. They couldn't explain the natural signs. What were they going to do with the heavenly sign? What in the world would they have done with the heavenly? They couldn't explain, uh, you know, uh, how uh, how things on earth work. They couldn't understand how you could take a, a yellow seed, put it in brown dirt, and, and green grass grow up. They couldn't explain that. They, 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 they couldn't explain the simplest thing. They had no clue uh, how a cow could go out in the pasture and eat, uh, eat grass and white milk turn out. They, they couldn't explain the earthly things they knew. And here they are demanding a heavenly sign. Why? They didn't want to admit the existence of God. Because if man admits the existence of God, then he has admitted and acknowledged that there is a power greater than he is. And a greater power uh, that they've got to surrender to. A greater power that they have to be uh, accountable to. Uh, a greater power that can dictate to them. See, they wanted to dictate to Christ. You give us a heavenly sign. Christ, uh, they, they wanted to be in charge. You know? Christ says, I'm going to be in charge. And to admit there is a God is to admit I'm not in charge. I'm not in control of anything here. And I, I don't have any say-so. And so, therefore, they, they, you've either got to acknowledge Him and accept Him as Messiah and His control, or you have to reject Him. 
And that, that was the whole problem here with, with where they were going. That, that man doesn't want, a, a, by his own nature, doesn't want to acknowledge that there is a power greater than him, that there is uh, a, a God. And, and so uh, he, Christ says, you're not, you're not getting a sign. Now, as we think about that and we consider these Pharisees, let's take and get in our time machine for a moment and let's come forward to 2024. Has man honestly changed that much? Is man not still operating on basically the same principle and the same mentality? We want a God that responds to us. We want a God that, that does our bidding. We want a God that, uh, that, that answers our prayer the way we want them answered, when we want them answered, how we want them answered. We want a God that responds to us. Even, among, even in believers, we have that issue. We have a hard time acknowledging and putting God on the throne in our life. These, these Pharisees were in that boat. They had misguided desires. Many people, uh, and again, even believers, are, are following God. And, and, and much like these, these Pharisees, their desire is to have a genie in the bottle, not a, a Lord on the throne. They, they, they don't want a king, they want a, a servant. And, you know, we, we, that's the kind of God we want. We, we go about our life, we do as we please, we live however we choose, we, we make our own decisions, we do, uh, again, anything, wherever, whenever we want, and only when the wheels fall and our life falls apart, then we go to Him and say, Lord, we need a sign from heaven. Get me out of this mess. Misguided desires. Motives that are not pure. Many people today, they're lost. They don't know Christ as their Savior. And they refuse to acknowledge Him as Savior because to do so would put Him on the throne. And they don't want a God on the throne. That's why you hear people say things like, I'm going to go live my life and I'll do what I want to. Maybe one day. I'll come to Christ. Maybe one day I'll get saved. What do they say? We're going to do what we want, and if He gives us a sign from heaven, then we'll follow. Misguided directed the desires, bad motives. Some of us today, we're, we're, we're serving God for the wrong motivation. Even what looks on the outside as pure, on the inside, when we scrape back the shell, we understand and recognize that it's misguided. That there are people all across this country today who will walk into church and they will give an offering, for example. They will give an offering, not out of a pure heart, not out of a clean heart, not out of obedience because God says bring the tithe into the storehouse, but because they have some kind of warped mindset that if I give, then God will bless me back. If I give 10, he'll give me 20. He'll, he'll take care of me. There are people today who are sitting in churches who are there not because they came to worship. If worship happens to happen, well, that's okay. But truthfully, the reason they are there is because they're scared not to be. They think, well, if I don't go to church, 
God's gonna, God's gonna get me. Find that verse for me somewhere in God's Word. He tells us to worship in spirit and in truth. We worship Him because we adore Him. We come to worship because we worship. Because we want to worship Him. We want Him to know we, he, that we love Him. We want to magnify His name. We want to lift up His name. We, we don't come to worship because we're afraid if we don't, we might lose our job. Or we might get sick. Or something along those lines. But that's where many people are in their relationship with God. They don't do it for the pure motive. They don't do it because, again, they love God. They don't do it because they're being obedient to the Word. They do it out of fear. Can anybody quote a verse for me that, that might happen to deal with that question, with that problem? Isn't there one verse that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that answers that, that, that motive? It doesn't give us the spirit of fear. It doesn't give us the spirit of fear. We don't serve Him because we're afraid. Is there a parent in this room who all, who, again, and we're human and we have frailties and, 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 and misgivings and, and, and we don't always do things right, but no true parent, no, no honorable parent wants their children to obey out of fear. We want them to obey because they love us as their parent. God doesn't want us to come and, and serve Him because He did some sign, because of some miracle. God, if you'll do this, then I'll go to church every Sunday. No, you won't. You're lying through your teeth. If you're going to go to church every Sunday, you'd already be there because He's already done more for you than you can ever repay. A misguided desire that, 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 that leads to a missed opportunity. You know, when you're looking for the wrong thing, you know, you, you, you know when you're looking for the wrong thing, you'll never find it. I, I knew, and I still know, I'm positive, that somewhere at my house is one of these Ace bandages, as I call them. I don't know if they've got a different name. And it attaches by Velcro. And it's not as wide as this one. I know it's there. And I was looking for it the other night to change the dressing here. And I even was pretty sure where it was. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked. Never found it. I went back and looked. And in the exact same spot, in my mind, what I remembered was it was rolled up and was sitting on a shelf out of the package. Guess what? A couple days later, I found it, but it was in a box. Right where I thought the other one was sitting. When you're looking for the wrong thing, you'll never find the right thing. You got something in your mind. Too many people come to Christ with a, a, a pre-designed God in their head. I want a God that does this and gives me that and gets me through this and helps me with that. We, we design God in our head and we'll never find that God. 
These, these Pharisees wanted a God that they could control on puppet strings. One that would do a miracle when they asked for it. If they could get him to call down a sign from heaven, then what couldn't they ask him to do? Could he tell them no going forward? What is our motive? What is driving us to serve God? What are we looking for in this relationship? What, what is it that we hope to find in our relationship with God? What motivates us? What brought us into this place this morning? Was it a genuine desire to worship and to be in the presence of God? Was it a genuine desire to, to worship Him, to let Him know we love Him, to give Him glory, to magnify His name? Or is it just because it's Sunday and this is what we have done every Sunday for the last 50 years? Is it because we're concerned that if we didn't come, then our friends and our neighbors would talk bad about us. What motivated you this morning to get up and to put on your clothes and to come to God's house? Well, that's where my friends are. That's a good, great. Glad you find friendship and family and love in God's people. And that's a good reason. One of the reasons we have church family. But it's not the primary reason. The primary reason is to honor Him, glorify Him, because He told us to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It's obedience. What motivates us? Look what bad motives do. In the next verse, we see the master's disgust. We, we see Jesus respond. Verse 12 says, And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say unto you, No sign will be given this generation. Sighed deeply. In his spirit. I want you to understand this morning when we look at this story how important our motives are. I can only imagine that there are some who would say, What difference does it make if I just go to church? What difference does it make? I put some offering in the plate. What difference does it make? Well, obviously, motives matter. Motives make a huge difference. So much so that because of these people's desires, these people's motives, the Bible says that it caused Jesus to sigh deeply from within his soul. I am inadequate to describe what exactly that means. We all sigh on occasion. We have a long day and we finally get to the end of the day and we get a chance finally to sit down. We all sigh on occasions. But the word here says sigh deeply 
This was something that came from the gut. This was something that came from the deepest recesses, the deepest parts of God. The motive of these Pharisees stirred Jesus all the way down deep inside. Now, you may ask yourself, why would this disturb Jesus so greatly? Why would this bother him so much? All he had to do was say no and keep walking. He knew the Pharisees. He knew how evil and rotten they were. Why would this simple... Again, now, if you ask me to call down a sign from heaven, it's not a simple request. But for Jesus, simple doesn't even begin to describe how simple it was for him. Again, he could have with one word called down the angels, called down fire and brimstone, had the earth swallow them up. It would have been nothing to him. But for some reason, this simple request stirred him deeply. Ever had anything happen to you that literally made you sick to your stomach? That's kind of the image we get here. That, 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 that the actions, the motives of the Pharisees just was like a kick to the gut of Jesus. Just broke his heart, disturbed him greatly. Why? Let me see if I can make a connection here for you that might help clear that up. Why would Jesus be so disturbed by these Pharisees saying, call down a sign from heaven? Maybe you'll remember another story in the Gospels where Jesus goes out into the wilderness and fasts. You remember the story? And as the fast ends, what happened? Who came to visit him at the end of the fast? Satan. And Satan asked Jesus, do what? What did he ask him to do? Call down a sign from heaven. That wasn't his exact words. Wasn't exactly what Satan said, but wasn't it exactly what he was asking him to do? Satan comes to Jesus in the desert and says, Call down a sign from heaven. Jump off this cliff. If you do, the angels will catch you. What is that? Is that a sign from heaven? Turn these rocks into bread. I believe the reason this bothered Jesus so bad was that when he heard the words of the Pharisees, he heard the words of Satan. Satan had moved in and had spoken through the Pharisees and 
he had taken over the hearts of these men and was leading them and urging them on. Tell him you want a sign. Tell him you want a sign. Tell him. Tell him, give you a sign. See if he'll do one for you. See if you can make him step and fetch. See if you can make him respond. You see how important it is for you and I to have the right motive in serving God? The right motive in, in being in God's house? The right motives in working for God? The right motives in reading our Bible? Now I know several weeks ago I, I passed out a, uh, a sheet that would help you to read your Bible through in a year and encouraged us to do that together as a church. And I believe that if we do, it will benefit you and our church as a whole. But only if our motives are correct. You're not reading your Bible through in a year to be able to come to me in December and say, Jimmy, I did it. You can do that if you want to. Not getting a prize. Not for me anyway. If you're doing that to make me happy, tear it up and go read John with the wind. If you're doing that because you're afraid not to, tear it up. Go watch a movie. What is our motive? Our motives are everything to Jesus. And then the real danger. When our motives are wrong, we miss the opportunity. Look what Jesus says at the end of that verse. I say to you, there will be no sign given to this generation. Because of their motive, because of their misguided desire, they miss a demonstration of the power of God. Look what it says. This is a really sad verse if you look at it. He sighed deeply in his spirit. And when he did, it says there will be no sign given to this generation. And verse 13 says, and he left. He departed. They had the very Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in their time, in their presence. We know that in some cities Jesus went to, he raised the dead, he fed the hungry, he gave the deaf back their hearing, the blind back their sight, he gave the mute their speech, the crippled their legs, the lepers their cleansing. But in this time, with this group, they get nothing. And Jesus leaves. 
they had the greatest opportunity standing in front of them in the form of God in the flesh. And they missed it. They missed it. He leaves them in what can only be called an act of judgment. They miss their opportunity. One commentary points out, says this, this was a sign, a signal of Christ's great indignation. His anger, his righteous anger at these people. There are times when opportunity presents itself and we miss it and Jesus leaves. These men were literally so close to Jesus reached out and touched and instead he leaves them to wallow in their sin they missed the opportunity of a lifetime they have lost it. and in just a few days from this point they will be involved in crucifying Jesus. They have an opportunity. Allow me to speculate. Now, again, I'm telling you I'm speculating, okay? I'm telling you I'm speculating. But what if these Pharisees would have came to Jesus with a different motive and a different question, a different desire. Maybe, just maybe, when the Pharisees gathered as a group to discuss what they were going to do about the Jesus problem, these men could have been the ones to step up and say, oh no, y'all are wrong. We met him a week or so ago, and we've talked to him, we've listened to him teach, and you're wrong. Who knows? But can you, can you concede that that could have been possible? Who knows when you miss an opportunity to respond to Christ, who knows the chain reaction that that sets into place? Who knows when you choose to be obedient, when you choose to respond, what could happen? Maybe your response to Christ could lead to your son or daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter or a co-worker coming to know Christ. And they're just nobody just like you. 
But then their son or daughter comes to know Christ. And that person knows somebody who ends up accepting Christ, who becomes a great evangelist, a great missionary. Who knows how great the opportunity was that these men missed by rejecting Christ. What a terrible thing to have Christ right there and to miss it, to reject it, to walk away. Abu Powell, great, great theologian, writer on numerous books, tells a story of being many years ago in Scotland. And while in Scotland, the locals took him out to see a wrecked ship. The remains of a shipwreck there on their coast. Sitting up high and dry. Sitting up on land and on shore. And his guest explained to him that this particular ship had once been the pride and joy, the flagship of a major Dutch shipping line. But one night, the captain of that ship misunderstood, mis by mistake, saw the lights of the small town and thought that they were the lights of the harbor. And thinking he was seeing the lights of the harbor, drove his ship to the lights. Unfortunately, again, they were the lights of the city. And he ran his ship aground. That ship, as you can imagine, was talk of the town. Shipping companies, other shipping companies, looked at it and ridiculed it, laughed at it. Shipping line from the Dutch shipping line called in experts. It's a great ship. They wanted to find out what they could do, how they could possibly get this ship off the shore, back in the water, making money. All the experts gathered and planned and tried to figure out how they were going to perform a salvage operation to rescue this grounded ship. After a number of consultations and looking at tide charts and moon charts and plotting what resources they had available, they decided that, yes, we can refloat the ship. We can get it back on the water. So they got all their ships together, all their equipment gathered up, and they picked the day as they looked at the calendar, looked at the tide charts, looked at the moon. They picked the day that the tide was going to be at its absolute peak. The day, the moment, the hour that the tide would be the highest. And they attached a number of ropes to the ship, tied them out to other ships, tugs out into the sea, 
hooked it up and waited for the moment. And at the exact moment when the tide reached its pinnacle, those ships moved forward and began to tug and pull and strain at the mighty ship. But it didn't budge. It stayed on dry. Pal says he asked him, well, what happened? What did they do then? He said all the experts gathered around and said if the ship wouldn't respond when the tide was the highest, it will never respond. And they determined to leave the ship on the shore. They stripped the ship of everything valuable and left it there to corrupt. That ship had its greatest opportunity and missed it. And was left to die as a rusty, rotten bucket of bones. It missed its opportunity. The Pharisees that afternoon stood at high tide with an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But they missed it. Now I can't tell you for certain because the Bible doesn't give us those details. I don't know what happened after that day. But based on the silence of Scripture, I think it's safe to say, no pun intended, that that ship had sailed. And they missed their opportunity. Never to get another. There are people listening to me today who you have an opportunity you are a child of God. You know Christ is your Savior. No doubt in your mind about your relationship with the Lord. But today, you have an opportunity to dedicate yourself to Him with the rest of your days. To commit yourself to serve Him as you never have before. To do great things for Him. The tide may never be higher. The clock is ticking. The days are going away. How many of you were a teenager yesterday? And today, you're retired. You're facing retirement. Yesterday a teenager, today you don't recognize that old fellow in the mirror. Today you see people you went to school with, and you think, man, that got old. The clock is ticking. The opportunity may never pass your way again. 
just a moment. We're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to come and kneel and say, Lord, I want to take advantage of every opportunity you give me to serve you, to be a witness for you, to be a shining light in a dark world. But more importantly, there's somebody listening to my voice this morning, whether here or online, and the time is high. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. You're trying to find a God that will step to your call, do things your way, give you some sign from heaven. He gave you the greatest sign ever some 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to a cross to die for your sins and raised him from the dead three days later. Luke writes and records for us Jesus saying, even if I gave them a sign from heaven, they would respond. You're here today, you're online today, and you don't know Jesus personally. Are you a good person? You're in church today. You're sitting somewhere and took time to watch online. But the truth of the matter is, you don't know Christ personally. You've never asked him into your heart. Today is your day of opportunity. Today is your chance. And you may never get that chance ever again. You may never get another opportunity. Time is high today. Will you come and ask Christ into your heart? If you're joining us online, give me a call, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you and tell you how you can know Christ. How you can take advantage of this opportunity that you may never get ever again. Some of you have loved ones, but they're far from the Lord. They don't know Him. You need to come and pray. They would open their eyes. And they would reach out and seize the opportunity to be saved before it's too late. You need to come, you need to call their name and pray for them specifically that God would save their soul. The tide is high today. The Spirit is moving. Will we ask? Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to gather here today. For allowing us to worship together. God, I pray today for believers all over this room, online. Lord, we will examine our motivation. Why are we doing what we do? We're doing it because we love you. We're doing it out of obedience. We're doing it out of passion. God, there are believers here that you're calling to serve me, serve me, to witness to their co-workers, to witness to their neighbors. And I pray that you give them courage to seize that opportunity. Now, there are people here who need to pray for their loved ones, their children, their grandchildren, their neighbors, their co-workers. They would 
take advantage and seize the opportunity to know you personally. Got someone listening this morning. Tired of high. They may never have another opportunity. We don't know the future. But today is the day of salvation. Lord, would you speak to their hearts that they would come this morning accept you as their Lord and Savior. We give you the honor of the Lord for all that you have, which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's what we
right? So, or they just keep that control. I'm just saying that. Uh, all right. Um, I think we can get it in the back of the table because I think. You got a bunch of junk in the back of your car, Kevin? Allison, you got a bunch of junk in the back of your car? <laughs> yes, okay. Um, Alright, if you do that, Corey, we'll get it over there. A couple of you hang around and Corey just lives out the street here, and uh, we'll run that over to Sharon now she's off at all. Appreciate you appreciate doing that. Alright, let's bounce over this minute. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for allowing us uh, the opportunity to be in your house today. And uh, Lord, we pray that you go to this place and go out into our homes, into our workplaces, uh, our neighborhoods, that uh, you'll open our eyes to see opportunities, uh, God, to share the gospel, to tell others about you. Uh, God, uh, we just pray that uh, as your word uh, sinks in, as people meditate and think about uh, your word this morning is there's one who doesn't know Christ. Uh, if they, they've never asked him in their heart, uh, Lord, that they would uh, see that need, uh, they realize the great opportunity they have uh, to know you personally. Uh, Lord, go with us as we leave here. Keep uh, us safe, keep us in your will, and we'll be the glory and the honor for all. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.